0: Well, if you're following along, go ahead and start turning to Revelation chapter 3. That's going to be the verse we'll start off with. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the death of a congregation. Begin to think a little bit about this. I read an article just recently, uh, earlier in the week, and it was talking about uh, the effects of the COVID-19 epidemic that we've been having, or at least as people claim we've been having. And um, they began to spend a little bit of time talking about how this epidemic is going to affect the local congregations. Now, they stated in the article that a number of congregations, and they're they're using this from a very denominational sense, really, they're including uh, virtually every type of church you can think of, whether it's a denomination, a community church, uh, or even whether it might be the churches of Christ. But they stated that many of these congregations were going to be affected because they're going to have a a loss of revenue uh, because they've not been meeting and without the loss of revenue they're not going to be able to pay salaries or mortgages. Now again, I'm sure that that probably will happen to a number of smaller congregations. The article went on to say that about a third of all congregations don't have any savings according to a recent poll that they had done Uh, and 48% of congregations uh, were able to accept uh, money through online sources or electronically, and so their giving is down by, for many congregations, they estimate about 60% or less. And some experts have even looked at the outcome from this epidemic and what's happened to congregations. Uh, unlike ours, we've continued to meet, but many of them have not met, and they've begun to change the way that they're meeting, things such as virtual worship, and so forth. And so many people have looked at the things that have occurred during this epidemic, uh, and they have begin to believe that this may actually change many of the religious activities, such as worship, how people worship, and so forth. And so they think that uh, many buildings are going to either die because of this, or they're going to be changed regarding uh, worship and so forth. Now, it is interesting, as we begin to go back and look at the scriptures, we do see that there is a biblical reference to uh, dead local uh, assemblies. Now, here in the article, they're talking specifically about churches, and they're talking specifically about the doors being closed on buildings. But in our New Testament, we do have a scriptural reference to a dead local assembly. Uh, go ahead and turn on over to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Revelation 3. It says, this is Jesus' words, "...and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars." Now here's the important part. "...I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead." Now it appeared when you look at this congregation, certainly the doors aren't shut, they appear to be a very physically strong and alive congregation, and yet Jesus looks at them and He says, you are spiritually dead. Now the article we looked at or that I, I referenced here just a second ago was talking about uh, physically buildings being closed or dying off physically, but Jesus turns this around and he tells them spiritually they are dead. And so as we begin to look here at Revelation 3.1, one of the things we understand is, is local congregations can die and that eventually will lead to the doors being shut With that being said, let's take a general synopsis about a number of congregations meeting today. There are some that they meet on a regular basis, and like this congregation here in Sardis, they're dead and they don't even know it. You've got congregations that maybe are active, yet however, when you begin to look at what they do in comparison to the Bible, you find that they are unscriptural in their activities. And so they were either never alive due to uh, error being present from the time that congregation started, or they have slowly become dead through air. You have some congregations that are very inactive. They still meet on Sunday and they meet on Wednesday, but they're slowly dying. And I'll mention an example of that here in a little bit. And then you have some who simply cease to exist uh, because they're no longer meeting and they've completely died out. In essence, the congregation isn't there anymore and they had to shut the doors. So what I want to do is spend a little bit of time looking at some biblical reasons why we find congregations dying. I want you to notice first, some congregations die due to physical death of the Christians that make up that actual congregation. It's fairly simple when you begin to look at a congregation and you begin to look at how many people attend. Uh, it, It should be common sense to us that if a congregation is not adding more people then it is losing, either through unfaithfulness or through death. Eventually what's going to happen is is it's going to cease to exist. Now that's happened to a number of congregations. And let's point this out that in many congregations you'll attend, you'll find very few younger people. Now I'm going to address that problem also. But you begin to find congregations are waning in, in the number that are there. You're finding that there are very few young people there. And eventually what happens is is the congregation simply ceases to exist because we weren't bringing in more than we're actually leaving. Now this is a pretty simple concept. I I take my car that I drive uh, to work on a daily basis and what happens is is as the gas goes down I add more gas to it and I continue to do that. But if I were to let my gas continue to go down but I never filled up more than I took out, what would happen is, is my car would cease to serve its function. And guys, that's what's exactly happening to congregations. Many of them are allowing more people to leave than they're actually bringing in. And what happens is is the church begins to die. Eventually it does die and it closes the doors. The concept is simple. We have to put in more than we take out. To flourish, we have to continuously add to the body. Now I'm going to go back to a verse most of you are familiar with, Acts 2, verse 47. It says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Now, the church here in Jerusalem, it's growing rapidly. The Lord is adding to the church as the gospel is being obeyed. uh, And He still is going to do the same thing today as we continue to go out, we preach the gospel, they obey the gospel, and the Lord will continue to add them to the church. Guys, very simply put... Churches do not grow without the gospel being shared, without it being presented. That's why we're trying to teach everyone that we can in our workplaces, in our school places. That's why we're, we're so thankful to have visitors who come and hear us preach book, chapter, and verse. This is one of the reasons we have such a heavy emphasis on evangelism. Without evangelism, the church will die. I'm going to go over to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's a passage many of you are familiar with. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Notice here. Go ye therefore, he's talking to the apostles, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He goes on, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you. Again, he's talking to the apostles. Always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It's very simple there. He says you need to go out, and you need to teach, you need to baptize, you need to continue to teach them all these things that I have already taught you. We are talking about evangelism taking place. I'll go over to Mark 16, 15, and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not, or in the Greek, disobeys, shall be damned. And guys, they did this everywhere they went. They did it even under times of persecution. Acts 8.4, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So we realize persecution, even something such as a pandemic or people getting sick, that wasn't going to stop God's will for evangelism or for how they were to carry out their worship. They were going to do it exactly as He had told them to do it. Nothing was going to get in the way. And guys, faithful, strong congregations will continue to do that. They're going to teach at all times, in all places, about what needs to be done and the way it needs to be done. That's not the only way that we bring people into the building. Another method that we keep our congregations strong and growing is simply by passing the faith to our children and to our grandchildren. Now, I'm going to go over to 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul writes... When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. What were they doing? They were teaching the faith. They were passing on the faith, right? Let me point this out real quick, uh, and I'm going back to a statement made by a relative of mine in a in, well in the Catholic denomination, and they were very upset that the Catholic Church had sent some things home for children to, to memorize and so forth. And they said, you know, that's, that's why we pay the church, is to teach our children. Guys, it is not the church's responsibility to teach your children the faith. It is our responsibility as parents to raise those children up in the faith, seeing it take place, and being taught the Word. Now, don't get me wrong, the church is an added benefit. Uh, it does provide Bible classes, and it does provide, I hope, sound... Uh, sermons from the pulpit. but guys, they're not going to get the majority of their teaching, or at least they should not be, from the church, right? They're there on Wednesdays, they're there on Sunday. You get a couple of hours at the congregation. They need more than a few hours a week being taught the faith, right? Second Timothy 3:15. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You can't know how to be saved or be wise unto salvation without knowing the Holy Scriptures. And we learn here that that should start in childhood. Again, that's going to start with the parents emphasizing and teaching our children. And again, let me say this. The majority of congregations and parents underestimate the intelligence of their children. Even from a very small age, they can memorize, they can understand, they can comprehend. We need to be challenging them. I see a lot of congregations, they have these, well, it appears that they're teaching 10-year-old children, but they're still using a second and third grade curriculum. We, we need to quit underestimating our children. They can learn, and if we don't challenge them, they're going to get bored. I'll address what happens later about when children are bored or when they're not learning. But again, this ought to be the easiest me- method, but again, it's not taking place or being done very good. There are a number of children who are being raised up in Christian households, and what happens is, as many of them obey the gospel only to leave the faith for something like a community church, a denominational body, or maybe even something such as a, an atheistic or humanistic idea, because they simply have not been taught correctly and they've not been taught the very basic fundamentals of the Scriptures. Guys, when kids or children are being raised up within the churches of Christ and they don't see a difference between the church that Christ established, Matthew 16, 18, and 19, and other churches such as denominational groups started by men or community church where everything's allowed, there is a problem. And I have come into contact with a number of people who didn't realize there was a difference between the churches of Christ and these other religious groups. Guys, when that happens, those, those younger people are going to leave the congregation. And that's just as bad as the older sound ones dying off when the younger unsound ones leave. Because in both cases, it's causing the congregations to die. Some congregations die because they're starved to death of sound teaching. Now, this is going to go back to the previous point. But go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Paul tells the church in Corinth... "...and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ." Let me pause for a minute. You remember when you were a brand new Christian, if you are a Christian? Right? There was a lot of things we didn't have figured out. There was a lot of things we didn't comprehend. He says in verse 2, "...I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able." There's a lot of things that new believers simply cannot understand. We understand that the Scriptures have to be used together to get a full understanding of a topic or a concept, and yet there are a number of people who, who are Christians, and yet they don't have those basic fundamentals. He goes on in verse 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are, you not, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Why does this happen? Well, my guess would be the same reason it probably happened here in Corinth, some congregations have strayed away from simply the, the basic teachings, and sometimes that happens because there's, there's not strong biblical preaching being done from the pulpit anymore. Oftentimes what you have are lovey-dovey motivational speeches. You have people talking about philosophy, uh, simply spending time talking about humanistic ideas, and then you've got congregations that have veered off so far, they're, they're just teaching straight out error. And so you get people in the pews who, instead of focusing on their spiritual welfare, they're more worried about the physical growth of the congregation, either by promoting programs to draw people in, or maybe even trying gimmicks and tricks just to get people in the door to swell. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're not growing at all in spiritual strength, but they are growing numerically. I know for a fact this is happening. And doing this causes a number of problems because... Even in congregations like that you have people who are sincerely trying to learn and when you're not preaching sound biblical doctrine, when you're, not, when you're not encouraging them and challenging them, what you have are people in the pews who are sincere but they're lacking in biblical knowledge. This can lead to a number of things such as unfaithfulness just simply because they're not being challenged and they finally decide to go somewhere else, or it causes them to even commit sin through ignorance because you've not taught them correctly and because they don't know, they're now out involved in sin. Listen to Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Guys, that is happening within even the churches of Christ, that people are being destroyed by a lack of knowledge. We used to be known as people of the book. We were known as the, as the ones who, who knew book, chapter, and verse, the most sound and, and most difficult brethren to, to debate because we knew our scriptures inwards and or forwards and backwards and yet what's happening is, is many people within the pews, they simply can't do that anymore. There are many people in the pews who couldn't tell someone how to be saved if they needed to be. Couldn't even give the simple plan of salvation. Guys, what congregations need to quit dying out or going into air is very simple. Good, sound Bible teaching. Instructors who don't just show up with a book or read a commentary, but literally do Bible studies and study throughout the week in preparation. They need sound sermons from the pulpit, and they need effective works within the local body to try to reach the lost. And that means other people need to be involved in it, whether they're doing it through internet sources, whether they're knocking on doors. The people need to be involved. Again, I'm going to talk about an example where this is not taking place and and how it causes congregations to die. But a lot of congregations, they're simply starving. They're starving for biblical truth, and because they're not getting it, they're actually starving to death. Some congregations are simply stagnant, and they're slowly dying due to discouragement. Guys, there are a lot of congregations who are very discouraged. And I'm talking about some congregations that are made up of people who want to teach the truth. They're desirous to teach the truth. They want to reach the lost around them. And yet they got other people in the congregation who don't want to do anything. And they look at these people. And then because it's wore off and many congregations are not involved in any type of outreach, they begin to get discouraged. And it seems to me interesting how oftentimes I will talk to preachers and they'll talk about the glory days when the Churches of Christ was the largest growing religious body in the United States. And they talk about how active the church was. And they always talk about the glory days. Well, guys, for the Churches of Christ, this is not the glory days. We have many of our younger people are leaving congregations because they're not being taught Sound doctrine. We're not growing near as fast as a number of the religious groups around us, specifically those who are charismatic. And because of that, people get discouraged. I get discouraged when we try so hard and we don't reach as many as we should. I'm going to go over to Haggai chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 1. Haggai chapter 2. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? This is talking about the temple. How many of you remember the very first temple? He goes on. And how do you see it now? The temple is going to be... Rebuilt. They've got the foundation laid. He goes on, Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Is this as good as the other one? Or are you thinking this is not as good? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedech, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. You may be saying, what, What's going on there? When they came back out of captivity, the first temple had been destroyed, and so they had laid the foundation, and they're beginning to, to build the second temple. And there's some people there that they had grown up in a generation never seeing the first temple, and so they saw it, and, and they're crying out of excitement because the temple's being built. But then there were some who they had seen the first temple, and they knew how glorious and beautiful and wonderful it was, and they're crying because the new one doesn't appear to be as beautiful as the original one. Some of them even began to look at this new temple being built and they wondered to themselves, is this going to even be as pleasing to the Lord? They were discouraged. Many of them looking back and remembering the glory days. Remember I just told you the church has constantly been looking back at the glory days. They're looking back at the glory days of the first temple. And it's interesting in verse 4, God says, be strong and get to work. Guys, if you're part of a congregation that is nowhere near what it used to be like back in the glory days, if you're part of a congregation that seems to be diminishing in number or maybe diminishing in influence within your community, you know what you need to do? Do what we find here in the Scriptures. Be strong and get to work. We have to go back to the idea of evangelism we were talking about. If you don't, the congregation's going to die. Nobody was working. Nobody's been working for a lot of congregations. Guys, we have to get back to work. I told you I'd mentioned a congregation, and I began to think a little bit about this. As I was about to get out of school, one of the things we do is we begin to go and we interview at congregations. I won't tell you the name of the congregation or where it was located, but certainly to say it is representative of many congregations within the churches of Christ. And as I interviewed, I was talking with the elders there, and they said, you know, we have slowly been declining over the last 15 years, nobody in the congregation was probably over the age of 50. They were down to, I'm going to say, about 15 people, something like that. And he said, you know, here's, here's what we want to know as the elders of the congregation. What can you do to save this congregation? He said, because I'm going to be honest with you, we're pretty discouraged right now. Guys, what's interesting is, is nobody was working... And because of that, the congregation was slowly dying out, which led to the fact that they were becoming discouraged, and they wanted to know what it was that the preacher could do. Why is it expected that the preacher's going to do it all? And they hadn't even had a preacher for a little while. They're discouraged, but not discouraged enough to go out and to try to teach people. Guys, that is happening all the time. It's the same thing when people begin to ask, you know, have you gone to the hospital to visit so-and-so? That's not just the preacher's job. That's for everybody within the congregation. Maybe if we did a little more of that, people wouldn't be so disgruntled and leave when someone didn't come visit them. Maybe they'd feel a little closer to their congregation. Maybe if we were all doing this type of outreach behavior to everyone, the congregations would be growing. But again, in the example I just gave you, the congregations discouraged, but they weren't discouraged enough to go out and to do any work. That's not the only reason congregations are discouraged and slowly die off. You've got a lot of congregations that are discouraged because of all the bickering that's taking place and the murmuring taking place within the four walls of the building. I'm going to go over to 1 Corinthians 10.10. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, "...neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer." Now you may be saying, what's he even talking about there? Well, I'm not going to read it, but go back to Numbers fourteen. Look at verses 1 through 2 and then skip on down to verses 35 through 37. But what you had going on was constant murmuring taking place. And guys, this was discouraging to the Jews. Let me give you an honest truth here. There are a lot of people within congregations who oftentimes are just very negative. They'll gripe about everything or they'll gripe about nothing. They see very little good in a lot of times anybody. They're often negative about the church in general it slowly begins to kill the church. And what I have found even more interesting, especially when we have people who are church hoppers, you've got people who think it's always greener on the other side, and the problem is is they'll do little to make the pastures greener within their marriages, within their families, and with their own congregations. And because they think it's always better, they'll oftentimes move from congregation to congregation. And it's never that it's their problem or they're the one causing the issue even though they maybe have to have gone to six or seven different congregations because there's always a problem wherever they go. But you've got many people, they simply think it's greener on the other side, and they're constantly going from congregation to congregation. What we need to do is make the pasture greener in our own congregations, in our own families, in our own marriages. How do we do that? Be strong and get back to work. Put work into whatever it is you're talking about to make it good. If we don't, this type of discouragement... Not only have we seen it does destroy families, it also destroys friendships, and it certainly destroys congregations. Some congregations are simply just freezing to death. Matthew 24, 12, it says, "...and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold." What's he saying? (laughs) They're just cold-hearted. They're just cold-hearted people, is what he's saying. Now, I had a brother contact me two or three days ago via email, and uh, he brought back up a phrase. I was well familiar with it, but I'm glad he brought it back up to me because I begin to think a little bit about it, especially as we're talking about cold-hearted people. I'm going to go over to 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 3. <laughs> we'll see some of this cold-heartedness. It says, "...now this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy. Here's the phrase I want you to focus in on. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. And he goes on. Now, I want to focus in on the phrase here for just a second, natural affection. In the Greek, this is made up of two different words. The very first... Part of the word there could either be translated as no or without. The second word there is storge. It's talking about family love or love for the family. And in context here, we are talking about love for one's own family, but this happens in the church also. right? We, we have individual families without love, but we also have spiritual families or congregations that don't have love. Listen to Romans 12.10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Guys, there are a lot of congregations that don't have that type of love. Many of you have gone into a congregation like me, and from the very minute you walked in, you could tell it was just a very unloving congregation. Right? They don't welcome the visitors. They don't seem to even want to enjoy each other's company. And so the place just seems extremely cold uh, because people don't have love one for another. Guys, it's not surprising to me that this type of an environment would cause discouragement and would lead to lower numbers within the congregation. How many of you want to attend a congregation where the people don't seem very loving one to another? How many of you want to come to a congregation where they have cliques and they don't want to be involved with you? How many of you, the first time you come to a congregation, want to come back when nobody welcomes you? And I mean truly welcomes you. We want to, people, people are worried about smothering visitors. Guys, we need to smother them with love from the very second they walk in the door. Let them know that we want them there. We want them to come and to worship and to learn with us. I would much rather smother a new visitor than to give them the cold shoulder and not say anything to them other than when they leave, thanks for visiting. And guys, you wonder why congregations are discouraged and why they're slowly dying off. Some of them are so cold, everybody's just freezing to death. Some congregations die because people are just bitten to death. Listen to Galatians 5.15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. How many of you guys have ever heard another Christian talk bad about another Christian? How many of you have ever talked bad about another Christian? Guys, we know that eventually gets around because people love to talk. Eventually it gets back that you've been talking bad about somebody. Some of the most mean people in life that I have ever met are doctrinally sound. They understand what the Bible teaches, and yet they're not living uh, sound teaching out through their words and through their actions. They're literally biting and devouring each other. Many of you are aware probably of people in congregations that are like this. Constant backbiting and devouring one another going to kill off a congregation. How many of you want to be part of a congregation like that? Some congregations die because they're polluted to death. I'm going to go over to 2 Peter 2.20, and this is talking about Christians who are no longer faithful, who've gone back to the world. It says, "...for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning." Guys, there are Christians who are literally in the pews but are involved in the pollution of the world, and many times they're even bringing that pollution back into the congregation. Now, we're going to look at this in another way here, but there are a lot of congregations that are bringing pollution, specifically even doctrinal pollution, back into the church building. Many of them are bringing even their activities into the church building. They're involved in a number of things which the Scriptures would condemn. Listen to Ephesians 5.27. "...that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle." What's He saying? It's not polluted. The church is pure. He says, "...or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish." Congregations need to make sure we are not being polluted to death from the things from the world, from the activities of the world, and certainly that we're not bringing that in to the body. Guys, Christ expects the church to be without blemish. And yet, what are we finding? We are finding pollution that is infiltrating our marriages. We're finding pollution that is infiltrating our lifestyles. And because of all of that, it's oftentimes carried into the building, into the congregation. And guys, this carries over even into doctrine. A lot of churches have been simply polluted with false doctrine. Listen to Galatians 1, 6-9, because all of this can slowly kill off, if not just individual members, it could eventually even kill off the entire congregation. Galatians 1, 6-9. Paul tells the church in Galatia, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That word gospel is euangelion. It's talking about the good news. That is our New Testament. All of that is our inspired good news. Verse 8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Accursed. Guys, why aren't congregations still teaching book, chapter, and verse? Why are congregations ending sermons and not telling the people in the pews, especially our visitors, the plan of salvation as we find in the Scriptures? You know, for many congregations, book, chapter, and verse doesn't even exist anymore. For many people, understanding commands, understanding examples, understanding necessary inference, they, they have no understanding of that anymore. And because of that, they can't even rightly divide the word of truth. And we wonder why we have false doctrine coming into our buildings and slowly killing them. Churches have been polluted with all types of worldliness and ungodliness and immorality. Let's go over and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll see a good example of this, and I guarantee you the example I'm giving it's still happening, and I can think of personal accounts where I know it's happened. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. This is the church in Corinth. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one, would, one should have his father's wife. You think they'd feel bad about this, right? Notice verse 2. And ye are puffed up and if not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. You should feel sad and ashamed about this, but you guys are puffed up about it. He goes on, verse 3. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let me pause for a minute. You need to discipline this man in order to try to save his soul. You can't allow that kind of stuff to come in and corrupt, pollute a congregation. He goes on, verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? whether it is actual sin coming in, physical sin coming in within the congregation, or whether it's doctrinal error coming in within the congregation, this has to be stopped immediately. It's complete and utter pollution. It will kill off the congregation. Guys, it's still happening today. Churches are being polluted with sin. They're being polluted with error. Now, both of these examples that I've I've already mentioned, they've got to be stopped immediately if you want to save the congregation. 1 Corinthians 5:7, purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. For us. Now in Galatians 2:5, Paul Paul said that when there was air taking place in their presence, they weren't going to allow it because they know that it will corrupt and that it will pollute. Galatians 2:5, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue. In you, for the truth of the gospel to continue in them, they needed to stamp out the error and the sin that was coming in. They got to stop the pollution. Otherwise, a congregation congregation could simply die. Some congregations are simply being choked to death. The world around us is choking out the word for many congregations. I'm going to go over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Hope I don't lose my voice starting in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Many people are so caught up in their world, caught up in all of the things that they're involved in, whether it's their job, whether it's their school. Maybe it's their marriage to an unbeliever that's preventing them uh, from being at worship and Bible study on a regular basis. Maybe it's a number of the other activities they're involved in like sports or extracurricular activities that they're taking their children to. And they're so busy with all this worldliness and these worldly activities that instead of giving attention to the things that they ought to be focused on, their spiritual activities They're focused on these physical carnal activities. You see, what happens is is they're simply being choked to death because of the cares and the pleasures of this world. Guys, I know we can look at a lot more things that are causing congregations to die off. But I want you to go back and consider for a few minutes just the things that I have mentioned. We can't underestimate the value of our congregation. And we can't believe that our congregation is simply going to continue to exist just because we show up here on a regular basis. We can't take our congregations for granted, and many are. They show up on Sunday. They show up on Wednesday. They do nothing throughout the week. They don't even study for themselves, let alone try to evangelize to the people of the world around them. And then many times we wonder why our congregations are not growing and why are some of the members discouraged. And certainly, guys, we can't contribute to the decline of a congregation through a number of these things that I just mentioned. Now, you may have listened to what I've said, and you said, that that was pretty pretty harsh. But guys, the reality is the churches of Christ are no longer in their glory days. Congregations are dying. Congregations are being filled with, with pollutants in the form of sin and doctrinal error. And guys... If this doesn't continue to, if this doesn't, uh, if it's not addressed in a way in which we can continue to build up our local congregations, you might be blessed to have one in the city that you live in. I have noticed as I've studied individual congregations that you used to find towns which would have numerous faithful congregations of the churches of Christ, and now there are towns that may not even have one, or at least they only have one faithful if they're lucky. We have to start to worry about our congregations. We have to worry about the spiritual strength of our congregations. I would much rather be a spiritually strong and numerically weak congregation than to have 400 people here who are spiritually weak, can't teach the gospel, and they aren't living faithful according to it. Now, as I draw this to a close, here's my concern. If you're watching this, my concern is is that you know how to become a Christian. I'm not going to go back and recite all of the verses I normally do. But in the conversion accounts, very simply, you had evangelists. You had the apostles or disciples. They were going out and they were preaching and teaching the Word of God because that's how faith comes. It comes through hearing, Romans 10, 17. They would preach and they would teach so that people would believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Jesus made it very clear, if you don't believe that, you're going to die in your sins, John 8:24. They would teach about sin and the consequence of sin in our life, that all men have sinned, Romans 3.23, and the consequence for that sin is death. And so they would get them to understand that consequence and the need for repentance. Jesus commanded all men everywhere to repent, Luke 13, 3 and 5. Find the same thing in Acts 17.30. You need to confess Christ, Romans 10, verse 10, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8. And you need to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins." Mark 16, 16. Jesus makes it very clear that baptism is a necessity. We see that it does say, 1 Peter 3, 21. We understand that it is a death, burial, and a resurrection just as Jesus died, buried, and was resurrected. And when you simply obey the gospel, the Lord will add you to His church. I pray that if you're watching this and you've never done that, you would contact us. Let one of us have an opportunity that we could try to teach you the truth. If you're here and you are a Christian, I want you to to spend a few minutes just thinking about your role within the local congregation. In what ways do you help encourage? In what ways do you help edify? In what ways are you currently helping, if you're a man, lead the congregation? Are you assisting in some way, whether whether it's uh, offering prayer, whether it's uh, helping to pass out the Lord's Supper? Are you helping... Uh, by leading singing or, or one of these areas in which you can help lead the congregation. And if you're not doing any of those, can you at least lead through example? Lead through an example as a husband. Lead through an example as a wife. Lead through an example as a parent. For our teens, lead through an example to your friends. In our places of business, we lead as examples of Christians in all things that we do. As I draw this to a close, I pray that if you've not been If you've not yet obeyed the gospel, you'd contact us. But I also pray that if you are a Christian, you would evaluate your role within the congregation and ask yourself, what can you do to help strengthen the congregation? Because, guys, the last thing we want, and I, I feel confident in saying this for this congregation at least, the last thing we want at this congregation is for us to eventually die out. And that's why we strive so hard to teach our young ones, and I think that's why we strive so hard to be faithful. Again, if there's any way you can help, if there's any way that we can help you, you can simply contact us.